Wait, so you just know who's going to win because you can see the future? Oh, no. I hang around the track a lot. I'm friends with a lot of the jockeys, the trainers, the stable hands, plus the sharps, the touts, the drunks, the pickpockets. Salt of the earth. Welcome to Pod 49, the fan conversation show about the AMC Network show Lodge 49, which also happens to be the best, or at the very least, one of the best shows currently on the television set or however you consume drama, comedy, content. I am joined, as always, by my two intrepid reporters jim and bart how are you doing today fellas Fantastic. good hang, hanging in all right we got a lot to discuss let's jump right into it first of all jim give us some of the rundown of the top of the food chain creative details all right so this episode was called estrella imar and it was directed by alethea jones who is Australian. She's directed a few films, including an award-winning short called Lemonade Stand. The writers credited are, and, you know, we like to make fun of Chris for his pronunciations, but I don't know how to pronounce all these people's names either, and I'm doing my best. So uh, it's we got Micah Craddy, Dana Ledoux Miller, and Andy Ciara. Uh, they all have multiple writing credits on Lodge 49. Micah Craddy has also written for Better, Better Call Saul. Dana Ledoux Miller has written for many shows, including Narcos, one of my faves. Nice. Also, from a musical standpoint, we'd like to run down the original songs. Only had one original song outside of Andrew Carroll's soundtrack work, and that was uh, the band Gloria and their song Beam Me Up, another great kind of psychedelic jam. It begins when Ernie's watching his ex, uh, his ex from the van and then continues while Connie is having her vision wandering around the lodge. So that was Gloria's Beam Me Up. And quickly, Alethea is very active on Twitter. She is a lot of fun. Uh, she's commented on some of the stuff on Pod 49. And um, we've been looking forward to her episode for a while. And she was very excited that it aired. So, uh, you know, say hi to her on Twitter. Kudos. All right, let's jump into our hot takes of the episode. Jim, why don't you start us off? My hot take is never turn down a box of donuts. Come on, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you lost your wife, your potential wife there, but, you know, free donuts. And, you know, I love how we're always seeing the characters eating donuts together. And, you know, Dud and Liz took advantage of Tim's uh, mistake there and uh, devoured those donuts. Yeah, I was going to say, it was definitely uh, Tim's loss was Liz's gain. Yeah, there, I think there's some some situations I, I would turn down some donuts. That may be the only one, but that, that is one I, I probably would, too. My hot take is I think that um, I think the love triangle between uh Scott, Ernie, and Connie is kind of coming to an end. I take it away by Connie going abroad, giving Ernie a little bit of space and time. He kind of has come to this... I think he's a little bit better off for it. I think he was a little bit miserable being stuck in the middle and in some ways being kind of set free, maybe. I, I think that maybe it's... Go I mean, in a peaceful way, but I think it's going to... I think maybe Ernie's going to kind of be done with Connie... And then I think Connie's going to be done with Scott. And I don't know if that's a prediction or a hot take, but that was what I was sort of sensing. All right, my hot take, I'm actually going to return to our Twitter friend, Alethea, and say that one thing that I loved, and, and Jim, you mentioned some of our pre-show talk, mentioned this leading up. This was an incredibly funny episode of sight gags and a lot of visual director tricks that I really loved. The it's the uh, Liz's no glass topped coffee table has always got little gags. But this one, you know, as whether it was like Beth's closet basically with everything like kind of neatly within the, the frame, the rectangle frame. Jeremy did something I think he just dropped something on it thinking that there was a table there. He like throws it in there. There's a ton he's like yeah. he's like getting rid of it. It's it's funny. There's a ton of great visual sight gags and then a really great image, less funny, but where Alethea frames 
Ernie and Dud in front of the van, and Ernie ends up with... Sorry, excuse me. Dud ends up with wings, and Ernie ends up with a halo. And that, it was just an incredible, uh, incredible shot. So yeah. I thought maybe from a kind of visual storytelling perspective, this is one of the, the kind of most entertaining episodes. Yeah, I like that. All right, so that was a round... It's a good take. Round of hot takes. Now, last week we started to read some reviews, and we definitely... We love the interaction. We're starting to get a good amount of it, but you know, all the contact information is in the show notes. So if you want to send us some questions or things or your hot takes, or you want to even record something on an audio file and send it to us, we'll play it on the show and answer the question. But we have been getting some more reviews, and reviews really do help. So rate, review, follow, subscribe, all those good things. So we'll check in. This is another iTunes review, and this is from listener Speedway CJ. So that's just kind of a cool name, Speedway CJ. As a bit of a Lodge 49 super fan, I'm thrilled there's finally a podcast that discusses each episode in detail. The hosts create fun, entertaining conversations that delve deeply into not only the plot developments, but the minutia that makes the show such a delight. One of the very few podcasts I eagerly anticipate each episode. If you enjoy Lodge 49 on AMC TV, you'll greatly enjoy this podcast. Well, thank you, Speedway CJ. What, what a nice sentiment, and we would love to read your pleasant sentiments. And, of course, if we get a real scorcher, one that really uh, pulls down her pants and gives us a spanking, we will be <laughs> very happy to re- read that as well. So if, you, if you've got them, send them our way in any form, text, audio, or raven. Now, we're going to jump into these recaps, um, and which will probably unearth some minutia along the way as well. The last couple of weeks, we've been doing the recaps kind of by character, and we... we it's been okay, but I don't know if we've, we've yet found our rhythm on how we're going to do those recaps, so we're going to change it up again here a little bit and do it in chronological order with each of us taking basically a third of the program. So Jim drew the short straw and is leading us off. So Okay, so we start off with that scene with the box of donuts. We've got Dud out back of the lodge, and Tim shows up, and he's going to hand off the wedding rings which he does and then says, you owe me $5,000. Oh, Dud, always finding debt in new places. <laughs> and, you know, we can see right away in that scene that Dud regrets the marriage and how he's talking about it to Tim and saying, you know, he and Beth made a big choice that affected a lot of people. <laughs> and then the way he says they're 100% happy with the decision, it's just like, yeah, obviously not the case. Then we've got, you know, the recurring joke of the, of the door up halfway up in the, in the wall. And as Tim's looking up there, he gets shat on by a pigeon <laughs> or a bird, maybe a seagull, um, Long Beach. Another sight gag. It's a big turd, yeah. so it's a big bird, I think. Okay, and then, um, oh, and then also that sets up the ending with, with Connie, the door, the kind of, what's that door and where does it come from? What's its purpose? And then we come back to it at the end. Then we move on to Liz at home. She's in bed. We see where she put the slide. It's over her bed, the slide from the Dudley and Son, you know, storefront. We see that Beth is sleeping on the couch because of her night sweats. And then it's this is an interesting scene with Liz and Dud because Liz is, I mean, you've got to assume, as Dud does, that she's just perplexed by why they did this and, that, and, and thinks it's not going to last and thinks it's maybe one of the stupidest things Dud's ever done. But she doesn't reveal that at all. And she's very supportive in the way she talks about it and like poker faced, totally poker faced. But I think you can tell that she doesn't actually believe it, right? I mean, it's a little unclear. It's almost like, it seems like she's Liz, like she's like, of course this is a dumb idea. But because I'm the new Liz hanging out with Lenore, I'm going to be positive about it. I love you, my brother. That kind of thing. Yeah, and also maybe she doesn't want to, you know, sort of reverse psychology thing to happen where if she openly expresses how she really feels about it, it's going to make him more entrenched and be like, no, I am going to make this work and this oh, yeah, marriage is going to be great because you don't know what you're talking about. One other thing here, though, too, is that she also has her own illicit relationship that Dud doesn't approve of. So she's also not looking... She's also sure. kind of like, yeah, do you, you know, yeah. like, I'll do me. So I think she also, it's also a little bit of a deflection mechanism because she could very rightly be and has been and will be again judged by Dud on the Lenore stuff. Right, right, sure. Right, and she, but she is generally judgmental in, with Dud, um, 
It just oh, seems yeah. like she's like in a kind of a better place now too. But I, but I think you're right. I think what we're saying isn't too dissimilar. Yeah. No. And then we see, you know, further the dynamic of, you know, it's it's pretty obvious. It's not going to last the episode just by that from that scene. I feel like yeah, immediately. Before, <laughs> yeah, before Beth wakes up, um, I like this. Uh, Liz asked Dud, you know. Where does Beth work? He's like, she's got to go to work. He's like, he's like, I don't know. Like, he says, uh, she does personal finance, insurities. Insurities. <laughs> and Liz does laugh at that. And it's like, yeah, I don't know, cross between insurance and securities or insurance and annuities. But it just kind of speaks to, for me, something that I think is just funny in life generally is that so many of us don't know what our friends and family members or maybe even spouses do at their jobs. It's kind of like, you know, because he closes out, he's like, she works in an office and does office things. And I think for a lot of people, that's like all you know about like your friend's job. That's all I know. If you, I've always said, if you can't say it in one word, I have no idea what you do. You know, like, <laughs> right, right. I'm a teacher. Okay, I get it. I'm a lawyer. I get yeah. it. And once it's like, I work at a firm, and I'm lost. And so that's, you know, back to our constant and the show's constant theme about kind of being a cog in, in different, at different levels of capitalism and no one understanding what you do. And then in this scene, we have... Lenore being referred to as a crocodile. Was that new or did I miss something before that had she been called a crocodile? It kind of was all over this episode and I was like, oh, was that an established kind of insult? No, I thought the same thing. I, I think it's I think it's new. I thought the same exact thing, though. I, okay. I wasn't, it, it seemed so, like, um, casual that they had been using it before, but I don't remember them yeah. using it. Yeah, I they used I, it yeah. with like when we're not watching, like in their, in their you know, the part of their life that, that didn't get filmed and we didn't see. right. Um, <laughs> so then we've got Ernie and Connie in bed. She's still got the blindfold on. I love how in all the scenes in Ernie's house, the crow is always cawing in the background. Yep. I just, that's a nice detail. So, you know, Ernie just says he's going with the flow. He's trying to be understanding. He's trying to be new Ernie. And then Connie says she's going to invite Scott over to talk. <laughs> and he's like, what? No, <laughs> like that's, you know, it's sort of upsets the um, equilibrium he had going. And then we've got Beth and Dud at the trailer. The look on her face is just like horror, regret, disappointment. What am I doing here? And Dud says, this place is like Walden. (laughs) (laughs) And then something about we could dig a pool. So anyway, uh, he offers her the chance to take it all back. He's like, do you want to say we, we made a mistake? Let's undo this. It's not right. Or don't you, you know, and they're both kind of like, no, let's keep going. But then she says, it's really good that I'm going back to work because then we can get away from each other. And which is a funny thing to say in that circumstance (laughs) anyway. But then we see that the real um, essence of that joke is that he gets put by Temp Joy right into this, um, you know, right next to her, which doesn't happen now. But that's, you know, that's the completion of that joke. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, indeed. Or not. Okay, so now we're back in Ernie's house. We've got this conference between Connie, Scott, and Ernie. And it still ends up being unresolved. And I did kind of feel like, we've been here at least a couple times before. I kind of expected maybe more, a little more of something dramatic out of it. But they were all still kind of like, well, we don't know what we're doing. And we haven't, nobody's making any decisions. And she's like, I don't want to make it easier for you. I want to make it easier for me, you know, which certainly is something that everyone struggles with in any kind of relationship with other humans, right? It was it was funny, you know, Scott says, um, oh, well, one thing, one thing I wanted to say was, you know, we've never really heard of Connie's diagnosis before. It's always kind of avoided, you know, we never, she never says like it's a tumor or it's some kind of condition or disease. And this was the closest we got to, to that where she says that doctors have been telling her that she has a brain cloud. And we don't know if that's literally what they have said or if that's sort of like the interpretation of what they have said. I think, um, she, I think it's pretty literal. I mean, she says that's what they call it. So why is this any more kooky than that? Yeah, I mean, she okay. makes a big point about the blindfold being not that much different, you know. Right, right. Yeah. In that regard. So we get that. And then Scott says, I'm not going to be part of some depraved hippie freak show. And then you see on his face where he's kind of like, or am I? And he's yeah. like, but if that's what we're doing. <laughs> and then, I, you know, they don't they don't come to any kind of agreement or anything there. I just thought he was like backing off that because at the it's like he doesn't want to threaten something he, he can't follow through with because he doesn't really want to give up on Connie. 
He's like, I'm not going to be right. part of this uh, unless you say I have to be, in which case I will be. That's the way I and he is the one who, yeah, he, And he is the one who asked Ernie to sleep with her last season. Yeah, when Ernie didn't even know he knew. Yeah, he retreats, he retreats fast there. Um, I also like how the, the moment where he busts Ernie in the eye roll was a, cl- was a really funny moment. <laughs> yeah. That was funny. That's funny. <laughs> Ernie, it's did Ernie that. roll his eyes? I thought he did. He did. He did. He did. He did. Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> Bro code much, Scott. Come on. <laughs> and I also liked the joke that ended that section where, you know, Connie's walking around with her blindfold on, doesn't know what's going on, and then she says, you know, can't see where she's going, but makes her way to the door and says, can one of you call me an Uber? I want to go to the lodge. We had made this comment, or we had a little discussion on an earlier episode about it was when Bitcoin first came up and you guys were kind of like, you know, there isn't that much mention of like modern technology and yeah, that kind of reference to the, to the way we were living our lives now. And, and so that was that stood out to me as, oh, there's another one. And it just was so perfect in that situation, too. It was kind of like it's almost uh, like the show I, avoids it until it can't, uh, you know, for yeah. purpose of the story, which I respect and kind of appreciate, you know, um, yeah. and also it's. Yeah, I don't, it, it doesn't feel out of place when it uses those things. Then the final scene for my third is when Liz and Lenore go to the psychic Tony. I was excited to see him. Um, that actor who played Tony is named James Urbaniak, and he's been in a ton of stuff. Um, he has a very long uh, resume. But my favorite role that he's done is from the show Review with Andy Daly, where he played the producer and just got up to crazy hijinks and shenanigans and it just and bodily harm just seeing him and thinking about that made me want to watch that entire run of that show again because <laughs> it's been long enough that i've like forgotten enough that it would seem some of it would seem new Funny to me again again okay so the, here we are with tony the psychic uh i think there's a kind of key couple of lines between lenore and liz at the beginning of the scene where Lenore says that, you know, she told Tony about Liz and he said that she's at a threshold. Lenore's kind of expanding on that and it says, you know, you're ready to be reborn. I think that's pretty significant in terms of what we see in the rest of this episode and maybe what's coming for the second half of the season. You know, Tony admits that he's not really a psychic or he doesn't really see the future, but he is a really good uh, handicapper at the horse track, at the racetrack because he talks to the jockeys and, and trainers and he does his research. He knows the fundamentals. So he recommends that they bet on this horse, Estrella Imar, which is the name of the episode. And that means star and sea in Spanish, which takes us back to the uh, night swimming, um, which comes up later in the episode too. So I won't go into that too much, but just the idea of Liz and Dud's mother swimming at night in the ocean. Uh, and then, you know, the other big thing here, even though Tony, his, his predictions are maybe bunk, but he takes it upon himself to say to Liz that because she's a twin that, you know, he says twins are a cosmic error. You're supposed to be born on opposite sides of the earth. He thinks that she chased her brother because she knew he needed, or he, you, you know, you knew he needed you. She says, no, that doesn't make sense. And then he says, you're stuck in the wrong place. Kind of interested to see what that might portend. I don't have any ideas exactly. It seems to register on her face a lot too, you know, uh, that when he says it, she kind of, it, it seems like she's trying to make it seem like she's like, oh, yeah, you're you're a psychic, this is what you say, but it does seem like it's affecting her, I right. think. And yeah. then, I mean, there have been times we've seen her stuck in the wrong place, sure, uh, before, like jumping off the boat because <laughs> that was not a place she wanted to be and, you know, other circumstances. But I think that's it for the first third, and then we move on to Chris. Uh, just to wrapping up that, I kind of loved how, you know, he's kind of a trickster, a rapscallion, you know, he's like, he's both... Salt of the earth. Insightful. Yeah, yeah, yeah that little rant about the great people at the track oh, was awesome. So awesome. I tried writing it down, but I didn't, the, wasn't The pickpockets, the druggies, I, I mean, I'm just butchering <laughs> yeah. it, but it, I love that whole section. I was, I, that's like a bar, yeah. It reminded me of Dirty Water, you know, the, the garage rock songs is like, uh, you yeah. know, junkies, murders, and thieves. And he's like, ah, they're good people yeah. in the song. You know, it's the exact same, exact <laughs> same reference. Anyway, that's an aside. But he, I loved his trickster stance. He's like, not, he's actually admitting to you that it's a flim flam, but then is it? And he does research to back it up. So it's a great kind of trickster icon to like be able to hold all those paradoxes at once. I say I'm a, which is also the show. I say I'm a psychic. I make my living as a psychic. I'm a psychic. 
You know, like... Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, it, and also this idea that we kind of explored in our season one episodes where it's just like, they take these mini looks at these different jobs and they just break them down to like, they're all a hustle, they're all a way to get by and they all have their own yep. kind of magic at the same time. So it was another one of those little things that I love. But anyway, to pick up the, uh, to pick up the rundown here... The next is one of our favorite locales. We're at Temp Joy with our boy Ross. Mm. Uh, basically, at this point, Ross exists to be Liz and Dud's shrink, yeah. um, <laughs> which Dud, which which Dud even realizes at one point where he has to go like, what, what, "What's going on with you, man?" You know, <laughs> which we get a uh, which we get a nice little as we do. And and I, I what's so great about Ross is he's always so hungry not that's actually not true because he's not desperate he's always so willing and warm about human interactions that you know he actually picks up that question and respectively answers it uh and says that he's he had been dating he had been dating someone but that it had fallen apart with that person or whatever but i predict that that seemed a little bit too much like an easter egg i think the person that he was talking about is going to show up. I'm not sure which character it is. My first, I'm going to put it out there that maybe it's the uh, one of the um, the uh, gift basket, the florist, the gift basket, gift basket guys, the one we meet later on in the episode. So I don't know. I think we're going to circle back. I think we will we will meet Ross's crush. So it's a little mini prediction. Um, yeah, the show seems like whenever and we mention something like that, it comes back to it. So I th- yeah, I think, for sure. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and we get a really nice little soliloquy on love from Dud here. It might not end up working out, but it's a nice... He does do a good job. Next is we're actually at the job placement. Jim mentioned this a little bit earlier, that Temp Joy that Ross sends him to. It, he's in the cubicle next to uh, his wife, Beth. And then we get that really great moment where uh, uh, Tim is like, you've got to be kidding me. So they're all working together and... Beth is upset because everyone hates her. We get that great sight gag of the the uh, office gossip doing the like duck down and in, into her cubicle. And there's also a commentary about like the soullessness of millennial jobs here. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't mean that as a put down to millennials, by the way. Um, but just that, like they're stuck in these like you know these jobs that you can't explain. These cubicle farms. They're all in the same locale. They're all you know college educated. Maybe not dud, but like the rest of the workforce there is college educated. Um, right. No one and also, cares. But like uh, between the two of Beth and Dud, Beth is like appears to be like the successful one because Dud, in, you know, in contrast to Dud in some ways. But then he just ends up through a temp agency at the same place. So like by next week, they could be on the same, you know, footing at the company or pay scale or whatever. You know what I mean? So like she definitely seems more like put together and she's, you know, whatever. She's like working and then it just turns out to be, like, no better than Dud's temp job. I just want to say, a lot of older people are stuck in jobs like that, too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but a, for sure. millennials get a lot sure. of uh, flack, I think, as every new generation will. Seems like to me. From there, we get we get our first look at domestic bliss in the trailer. And we see, you know, because of her night sweats, she's she's sleeping in the, I don't know, I, I don't know what those are in a trailer, the, the couch bed. And he's in another version of a couch bed. You know, she just bails on him real quick. Again, we get a nice visual gag when she's asleep with her leg up. But we get another great soliloquy about that Dud really performs here. And walking back, we get a lot of backstory about them having an open door policy and like more of these like idyllic looks at at life at the Dudleys that that Dud always is going off on. But I love how he talks himself into understanding where his father is coming from with having people around the house out of this deep loneliness from the loss of his wife and the loss of a you know future or another lifelong companion, which was exactly the space that Dud was in the previous week in terms of what got him in a situation he was in. So, you know, we have a nice kind of realization that some of those beautiful memories or whatever were driven by or, you know, motivated by darker things. Then we, you know, we're returned to our, you know, the what the promise that Ernie made to Dud that once a week at the same time, same locale, they'd be playing a round of, I guess, whatever they call that. It gets golf, technically, I guess, at the municipal golf course. And this is just such a rich scene. One, we get probably our most successful season two example of Knight and Squire with Ernie and Dud. Uh, that where they're actually learning both from each other and there's a that relationship the running errands analogy around love is just was really beautiful way to put that 
it, it'll come back up in, a, in some of the plot points, but uh, Ernie able to articulate that again, which is one of the show's main themes, the balance of the mundane and the magical in life. Uh, you know, running errands with, with your life partner is, a, is kind of has that as well. Um, and we also get Ernie opening up more about his backstory and Dud able to, to have some interaction there and help Ernie work through uh, a bunch of things. We also see a little bit of a, a clue that pops up again. This might be the, well, it's not the first, but it's a, we really see Dud limping. You know, you're walking on a golf course, you know, whatever it is they're doing with the golf balls, and uh, and you really see him limp, and to the point where Ernie has to has to mention it. Then we we've followed we've followed Connie and her and her Uber to the lodge. Scott is there, and they have a a really meaningful interaction where Scott's like, "You should move into the lodge. I don't want you at Ernie's." Blah blah blah. All pretty typical. But then Scott puts it out there, like, are we together still? I can't remember the exact line, but he basically uses that classic, like, he knows she's not going to say anything, so it's like, you know, if you don't say anything, that means you still want to be together, which, mm-hmm. you know, is, is, is fake, and he even knows it. And, and I don't know, I, did, we, did we see the end of that marriage? We certainly see it decaying over time, but that seemed like a flashpoint there, and, and, we, uh, and we're going to see Connie go from Lodge 1 to Lodge 49 and really become almost almost a Blaze-like character in their immersion in both the Lodge spiritually and the Lodge physically. Then we get a great... I, maybe my favorite scene of the episode, which was when Liz is pitching to uh, Jeremy Champ and Gerson. Did I get that right, Jim? I believe so. All right. And so she's failing miserably in her sales pitch. Some great lines about that, whether we're talking about champs. You know, what does he say? You know, if the, mar- if the, the market needs miracles, then the, the market will provide <laughs> miracles. So we get some great pieces there. Uh, Gerson with, you know, starting to debate the uh, what how much water it takes to produce a water. And didn't, Jim, did you, did you look that stat, that factoid up? I did. I, I found a bunch of different sources with differing... Uh, information, but went with NPR. It's one story they did talking to some industry professionals and whatnot. And they say the amount of water going into making the bottle could be up to six or seven times what's in the bottle. That, Damn. So home with you and drink it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Gerson, uh, even more right than he even knew. Well, he says that can't be uh, possible. This to me, right? I, you know, there's, right. yeah. I love this scene for so many reasons. The other thing is we get Dud coming in. Now, we have gotten a few times that we've gotten very little dud interacting with Liz's posse, and it's kind of magic each time. So, I, and this is the definitely the longest interaction that dud has had with, you know, Liz's version of the Lodge and her compatriots. So, some great interactions here, some great jokes, but the whole scene from the time dud comes in is really a depressing treatise on the state of marriage because we get... You know, Jeremy bounding across the room with his advice, which is so mind-numbingly depressing, <laughs> you know, where we just eventually exhaust each other, and that, that's a version of, of marital bliss. And then Dud explaining that Beth is waiting and her incessant riding of the horn. So, you know, we, we even get this, this sound cue. You know, we talk about the sight gags. Well, here's a, a sound gag. And so... That whole interaction basically between Jeremy, Dud, and Beth off camera really is just a brutal takedown of marriage. And that scene was great all the way around. I'm voting. I'm putting in my chip. I want more Dud with the uh, higher stakes crew. Yeah. That was a, a great scene. Sure, yeah. Then we actually get the running errands, running errand scene that is not going well. Now we really see the Beth-Dud marriage just grinding to a halt again similar joke like hey let's divide up the list we don't have to be together which is just like an immediate immediate rejection of ernie's theory that dud has planted firmly in his frontal lobes and we get a little bit of season one callback which i'd be rooting for to see a little bit more of and that's the librarian who not only gives us a a little spark between the two of them it sparks a little bit of jealousy in beth but it also gives us a pretty big who's that breadstick important plot point Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I also like that the um, show like uh, 
just like Beth, when they introduce a character, it, it could go back to the character, but it may not. It doesn't need to, but it almost always does. And so her arriving in the supermarket, I thought, was like a, a nice tie-in. Obviously, it's not going well with Beth, but um, yeah, I do think that's something that the show does really very well. And her name is Emily, by the way, that character. Emily. Yeah. Oh, in and the credits at the end, it did say Emily, in parentheses, librarian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then she lets on that Mets basically the Paul Giamatti writer character, the author, who, you know, we saw in the cold open of the season, is at a book signing. It's not at the library, though, right? It's at a bookstore. Yeah, it's at books, books right? <laughs> so, but she, she tips him off there, so we get that big plot point. Then we get Blaze and Scott kind of debating and, you know, antagonizing each other. One little throwaway line that I like was the, the reference to the Willow Street, Street Knife Boys, <laughs> which are kind of... You, which is this roving gang, but they sound they sound less Bloods and Crips and more like Five Points, uh, Manhattan, circa eighteen forty six. Right, but it's <laughs> it's um, the fake uh, gang that uh, Alice brings up in the donut shop of who stole. Oh right, yeah, when, yeah, 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 yeah. When, who stole yeah, Bowie's um, equipment? He's like, oh, well, I don't know, I right. know these, and so, and there's a there's somebody on Twitter who's like made a jacket like like a gang oh. jacket <laughs> with that like logo on it, and so. That, but I, I remember laughing at that line when it happened with Bowie, and so mm-hmm. that so when Scott says it, it's like oh this is this is like this rumor has grown. Yeah, yeah. The, our viral uh, another technical reference there. Our viral culture. So I love that. That was the best thing about that little mini scene. And then we're at then we follow up on Dud and Ernie who are at the signing. It turns out that you know that went went bizarre and met smashed his way out of the door with his head and the, the <laughs> bookstore clerk shows him the security footage. And so I love how in awe Ernie and Dud are, you know, it sounds just like the character. You know, like it yeah. just, it just, yeah. I also adds to the mythos. So I, I really like the way the um, employee of the store is like, uh, you want to see the tapes, you know, like uh, a <laughs> common theme I think in the show is that like, we're all in this together. So like, even though they don't mm-hmm. know him, he just sort of recognizes that that's a, that's something that they think that he thinks they would find funny, so he's going to show them, and like no one's worried about what the boss is going to say, sort of thing. You know, I don't know. I, I kind of like that little touch. Yeah, or no, um, no uh, issues around privacy. Yeah, or <laughs> anything along those lines. And then as they're they're walking in the parking garage, walking back to the van, which is where we get that great shot of wings and Halo that I referenced in my hot take. We run into a character. Uh, which was one of the gift basket boys, and it's sort of a lot revealed. So, you know, in some ways I kind of thought that storyline was dead, but there's a couple little hints here where, you know, Ernie going off about how much of a cluster that whole thing was, and and also I love that the guy's like, hey, I'm just a grad student, I'm just taking the paycheck, I'm just playing, you know, I'm just playing the part that... Society has had me. I'm a cog, right? I was like, even if I'm a cog in this giant, you know, multi-level, half of the people are anonymous of what's going on, or this sort of shadow capitalism. I needed the he, money. This guy's just like, whatever, dude. Yeah, yeah I'm just trying to. I needed the I'm money. I'm trying to get I, I by day by up, day. Yeah. So that kind of, to me, re-sparked that that might that storyline of that might start to pop up again. And you saw some real piss and vinegar from Ernie there as he's like kind of reactivated at the injustice of all of how all of that went down in season one. And that Bart, I think that brings me to my tag off to you. All right, I'll take it home. Um, so then the third act, I guess, um, we start off with blaze and Connie. They're in the library. Um, they're discussing the lodge and the history. Um, a really funny thing I thought was that Connie pronounces it Magnum, which is the way I pronounce it, as we all three pronounce everything incorrectly. And um, as opposed to Beth, who later is like Monium what? And but she kind of pronounces it correctly. And while she while Connie's mispronouncing it, Blaze, who's just really like at his wits' end, he's just you know he like blinks and then kind of mouths it she's got the blindfold on so she doesn't yeah. see him do it <laughs> yeah i love that i just thought that was really funny as only someone like blaze could get annoyed by that to that degree and then they have this really in- interesting conversation where connie kind of is intrigued by all the lodge uh lore uh but also kind of stands apart from it you know kind of seems like to me that she's like a little bit like ernie that way where it's like the the lodge is good for the human element but all this stuff and she finds it more interesting than ernie but like Still thinks it's, I mean, she calls it bullshit. 
But then Blaze calls her on it, like, but yet you're wearing the blindfold. And she's like, well, I enjoy the bullshit, you know. And then there's also, uh, Blaze mentions All Circles Vanish, which brings us back to the first episode title. And I thought that was pretty significant. He's, it seems like he's very much on the verge of his breakthrough. He says he's knocking on the golden door. I'm so close, just need to get Scott off my ass. And of course, so does Connie. Then we move to uh, Liz and Lenore. There, she's got a busted tire. And Lenore tries to explain to her, you know, Liz starts to admit that she doesn't, she doesn't feel comfortable uh, selling product to her friends. And, you know, so Lenore tries to assure her that, like, you're helping them. There's this great line where Liz is going to call AAA. And uh, Lenore says, what are you, some kind of princess? <laughs> and uh, I really kind of appreciate Lenore in this, in this arena because as I get older, the more things I do, like change a tire where before I would have relied on somebody. And when you learn to do these things, they're so easy sometimes that to spend the money on it would, 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 is absurd Like when you get older. you know, like Of course I can change a tire. Um, so I, I don't know. I really like that uh, scene. I swapped out an entire ceiling fan a couple weeks ago. That's huge. And granted, it took me like wow. six six or seven hours, but I felt like a freaking world beater. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, that's huge. And I I mean, when it comes to electricity, it's one of the few things I don't mess around with. But yeah, like when you can do something like that and you learn it, and it's, it's empowering, you know? And, it, and I think a big part of the Nora is that she she's had to make it on her own. You know, she's never like even teamed up with anybody, like gotten married. Like even if, you don't believe in marriage or whatever, just having a second person is very helpful in life, you know, like uh, to kind of get by because it's, it's obviously very difficult. So but yeah, one thing I, mean, I wanted to say about that scene where they're stuck by the billboard, the Fidro billboard. Right. And it's just like when Ernie and Dud ran same out spot. of yeah. gas in the same spot. And it was the, is there another way to live billboard at that time? Yeah. And another way is the Fidro. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so then we're back at the library with Blaze and um, Dud and Beth. Beth asks, what's that smell? And Blaze gets very excited. He's like, that's that's me and everything around us. <laughs> and then she's like, I'm nauseous. I got to I gotta split. I got to go to the bathroom. So she leaves. That leaves Dud and Blaze alone. And they get to talking. And that's where we find that Dud's leg is still hurting him seems like whatever potion that uh, Blaze gave him is wearing off. Uh, it's kind of a typical dud thing where he needs to uh, deal with the present reality instead of push it, pushing it off, thinking it's not a big deal. And of course, that also that's also when Dud breaks it to Blaze that he's not going to be able to be his apprentice. And it seems like Blaze is kind of put off by that, but it seems like Blaze is kind of put off by a lot of things. And then that's when uh, Scott comes in. Really, like, this last act just really goes full tilt. It's very uh, fast where it kind of goes. I, I didn't see this really coming. But then the tension between Blaze and Scott, like, kind of reaches a, a real point here. He come, You know, they get into the fight, and he says, Connie is never coming back to you no matter where you put her, which <laughs> I thought was really funny. <laughs> And then he says, deal with it so the rest of us don't have to. Then, you know, they get into it. And then that's when Blaze gets into, like, he just becomes psychopathic almost. And he grabs the nail gun. And I was, I was kind of blown away. I was kind of shocked. I didn't, I didn't expect him to do that. Like, when he shot the one to the side as, like, a warning, I kind of thought that was going to be it. But, of course, Scott, in his leadership, is really terrible. Doesn't really know how to, like, defuse the situation. And uh, he doesn't really back off well. Um, he kind of keeps pushing it. And, of course, that's the dumbest thing to do when you're in that position, I think. So, of course, he takes one in the leg and falls down the stairs. And then Ernie is able to kind of, like, calm him down. Which I thought, like, Ernie and Dud were very sort of brave in that situation where, like, you didn't know where Blaze was going to go with this. So he might end up shooting you as well. But they kind of, like, stick by their friend and they're able to talk him down from the ledge. And just when he, like, comes to it's it's like when he sees Beth who he told Dud was lovely like he, he was like well, she's so lovely and I think it was genuine and you know it wasn't like just blowing smoke and then when he sees her and kind of realizes what he's done he like kind of freezes and he drops the gun the nail gun <laughs> crucifies her against the wall and it's funny because he says please forgive me and then the next line is her saying okay so she's kind of saying like okay I forgive you but she's also saying okay uh, enough is enough. You're right. This was a terrible mistake. I should just married Tim. 
Um, yeah, I don't think she's saying, okay, I forgive you. <laughs> I think she's just saying that other stuff. I know she's not, but the, literally, the <laughs> I just noticed it, that like right. the line is, forgive me, and the very next line is, okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, I just thought it was kind of funny. So then we cut to the track, and Liz, it, Dud is there with Liz, and she's there with Lenore, and they've got to be in that bar room because she's been kicked out of the uh, standing room only, the, the seats or whatever. The stands. The stands. And that goes very south very quickly as well. So um, what does she say? Oh, she tells Lenore to cool it because uh, she kind of like pitches it to the waitress that's walking by. And, you know, and it's kind of like Liz is sort of, I really like hanging out with Lenore, but like, God, can you just give it a rest? But obviously it seems like Lenore is not, that's not like in her mainframe, you know, to do that. So then, of course, Lenore kind of loses it on her and reads her the riot act and says, She's so desperate for a mother, she can't see straight. And, uh, you know, so they have this, like, breakdown. And then I thought it was kind of interesting the way she kind of makes... Well, she she talks about the uh, white tent coming out. Like, the horse... Their horse wins, but another horse was injured, so they bring out the white tent, and then she explains what that means. And it's almost like Liz and Dud had never known that. And just the whole ending finality of it, the horse, the relationship, and just Liz just, like, kind of breaks down in tears... And then what I, what kind of surprised me was that Lenore actually kind of comforts her. So even though they're sort of like breaking up or ending their relationship together, uh, Lenore was still sort of there for her and comforts her. And I thought she was going to turn to Dud, but she seems to embrace Lenore in that situation. And then, of course, it cuts and she's like paying them out because they won which is kind of fun whenever the show shows the uh, characters actually getting money. I get kind of excited. Um <laughs> And Dud uses that money later to, like, pay the, the, the bar tab, you know, to because Scott yeah. comes up. He's like, it's covered, it's covered. And, yeah, and then there, and then there's just Dud and Liz. They're sitting uh, by the water. They're that same spot where uh, Liz lent that homeless guy money and then took it back. It's that same area. And uh, Liz tells him that her, their mom loved to swim in the ocean at night, and Dud says, that's the scariest thing I can imagine. And... I also agree that that's the scariest thing I can imagine. And I've thought about this a lot where I think seeing the movie Jaws when I was like probably seven years old has scarred me for life that if you can't see what's beneath you, you might as well be getting eaten by a shark. And obviously, Dud has been bitten by a shark. Maybe his dad was even eaten by a shark. So that scene, I don't know, I thought that was was like kind of a great little... It was. It's a very short little scene. Oh, yeah, and then we have Ernie at his ex's house. He's mentioned her earlier in the episode, and um, that's when the soundtrack kicks in, that song we were talking about earlier. Cuts to Connie. She's back at the lodge. She's blindfolded. She's walking towards that door. It seems like she opens it and sees through the blindfold this, like, city of gold. It almost looks like the orbiscope. It's, like, very circular. And then she takes off the blindfold. The music stops, and she's in some closet with a bunch of stuff. Yeah, so then finally we're trying to get Blaze out of the room. He's locked himself in, and they... It looks like... I, I really thought that Dud was going to, like, rush it with his head the same way that the, the Paul Giamatti <laughs> character does the door. But luckily he just does his shoulder. Then Scott takes the sledgehammer to it. They open it up. They go in there, the sentinel suite, and Blaze is gone. And then Dud shouts, He's through to the other side! And that's that's how it ends. Oof, but a lot going on. It's always amazing when we do these rundowns, no matter how we do them, you're like, wow, that was a lot that actually happened in that episode. Here's where we like to focus in on one or two key elements. And so as we were discussing what we wanted to kind of take a longer look at as a theme, it really was this idea of relationships end. So maybe kind of go through just a quick laundry list here. We obviously get uh, the Beth and, and Dud, which, by the way... If you heard my prediction last week, and I set the over-under of two episodes, if you took the under, the, the payouts are coming your way. Very um, under. So we have... It was under, yeah. it was over within the first, uh, within the opening scene. So that's obviously one, but we also get the backstory, a little bit more of the backstory on Ernie's one that got away. We hear the story about the real story of Dud Sr. and Lenore. Uh, we get the whatever's going on between the threesome of Connie, Ernie, and Scott, but more importantly, you know, did we get to a divorce moment with Scott and Connie? We have 
the apprentice master relationship end between Dud and Blaze. And I might even be forgetting a couple of them, but we really have the scene this week of the uh, actively witnessing or getting accounts of how these different relationships, which are obviously important, which obviously had some meaning to the characters involved, come to a pretty definitive end. Yeah, like, uh, I don't know, like what I was saying about the hot, my hot take earlier, I really think there's like kind of the relationship between Scott, Ernie, and Connie is kind of coming to an end. A lot of the point of the show is the ending and beginning, the cycle of life or whatever, and so I think there's a lot of that kind of happening in this episode i for one get very excited when dud gets married at the end it was like it's always fun to see i i, I think i'm so attached to the characters that when that you're so used to them losing that when they're winning i just sort of naturally get sort of excited and then it kind of like this so like last episode sort of ended with a bang there's a lot of like good things going on and this one was more of like sober reality of of those kinds of things and who else do we have there's other there's lots of endings of relationships oh well liz and lenore right right like yeah that, you know, that so seems that like a another... definitive goodbye and then it actually hard for me to... oh i was gonna say actually we didn't mention in the recap of the episode that dud, dud and beth are getting divorced and that they broke up that was left out that was in the that was in the horse oh right yeah um so that dud's oh, talking yeah. to liz and says that yeah he got even he got emotional when tim showed up everyone was emotional or whatever um, and that clearly they got back together and realized they were meant to be together again. So let's stick on that one because the Dud Beth, you know, one episode, one less than a week marriage. What do we think about that? I I I, I don't know how I feel about it. I'm a, I, I don't love it. I got to be honest. I thought it was like it kind of felt like a cliffhanger without a payoff. You know, because you did get this jolt of excitement and adrenaline at the, you know, the the marriage scene in the episode before, and I don't know, I don't know, am I hopeless romantic? Did I kind of was I was kind of bummed out that it ended so fast? I mean, I, I did think that they. I don't know. I, oh, I yeah, I was uh, I was bummed out that it ended that fast, but then it also feels like that's what the show is about. You know, most of the characters can only. I mean, it's it seems like it's about a lot of times about the characters enjoying life in spite of those setbacks or disappointments. Like, I wanted it to live on longer, even like one more episode, but I didn't find it surprising that it didn't. And I mean, he was concussed. Severely concussed. <laughs> Severely concussed. <laughs> I did not want it to last longer. I was glad it ended. The episode, the previous episode, in the beginning, when he and Dud and Liz are talking about their parents and their dad's you know, relationship with the mom and their kind of lack of relationship with their mom because she was gone. Dud expresses this belief that, like, that's how what love is. You just meet somebody and you just do it. You just get married and then that's, you know, that's it for the rest of your life. And, like, I think he needed to learn that lesson. Like, no, it's not that. It did that for him, I would think. But it did, that's why, that's also or, why I felt like it, it seemed perfect for him, you know? Like, if, if it's a snowball chance in hell, but if it does work out, it could be sort of magical. But, of course, she called the lodge the crappiest place ever. Yeah, was, I was instantly then, like, no way, no way. Yeah, he, he's, he, <laughs> yeah, and he kind of, like, in, you know, insisted upon, like, talking about the lodge, doing the lodge, bringing her to the lodge. Even the trailer is, like, part lodge, right? So, yeah, it just was never really going to work out. No. And then, you know, with Emily, the librarian, he's got a rapport with her. They've hung out a couple times. They've had conversations. And maybe he'll see, like, oh, maybe I can build something with her. More importantly, she's been to the lodge. That's where they kind of flirted. They they talked at the library. But then they flirted at the lodge. I, I don't know. I, I, I actually, I agree with you, Jim, on all of your why you didn't want to see it last. I didn't like the instant flame out. It felt, it kind of felt like what, here's what, here's my take that I just cannot seem to talk myself out of. Sometimes you can see the the seams of a show, right? You can kind of see the outlines of it. You can kind of see some of the stage dressings. It kind of breaks the the, the illusion. And for me, it just felt like, you know, how Netflix Netflix shows, you know, to string you along and to keep you binging will have, like, kind of a big cliffhanger that by, like, minute eight of the next episode is kind of irrelevant and actually wasn't that big a deal. And it felt a little bit like that. It felt like this, how can we jolt the story mid-season? I really liked uh, Britt, okay, Britt Rencheler, uh, I believe, who is the actress that plays... 
that plays Beth. Uh, she's a, a part of the Mensa Society, apparently, I believe. And so I liked I liked her performance, but then I felt like they had to turn her shrill almost immediately. And so some of what was fun, even going back to what I think season one, episode one, where and and then when she runs into Liz, there's ex- this exuberance from their past. I don't know. It was such a night and day performance. Now, if you you, you wake up sober and freaked out, I can see that. But I don't know. I felt like at times it wasn't the same character before and after in some ways that I don't know. I I I was I, I was know, struggling. I, I disagree a little bit because I didn't happen often, but I think there's definitely times when I would meet somebody and be very into them. And then literally 48 hours, I'm like, how do I get out of this? I, that is, a, I think that is very common, you know, like, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, like. Bacon you, lips? Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole industry in Las Vegas of marriage chapels that uh, are, you know, indicative of that trend, whatever phenomenon. I wasn't even thinking of bacon lips, but I, I what I, I. Carrot top? <laughs> the list goes on and on. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I don't know, just like, you're having a great time. I don't know. Maybe that's why I connect with Dud so much. But that, like, you you can be chatting and having a great time, and then the next step shows you why it's not really going to pan out. It kind of exemplifies it. And also, I really like the, it seems like amongst all that stuff that Ernie and Dud are kind of coming back around, and it's a little bit more natural uh, I, I really felt like that like Ernie was very annoyed with Dud in season one in a lot of times, and it seems like he's kind of like gotten over it and he's get, he's moving past it. And when he's talking about running errands with people, I really was uh, reminded. I mean, one of my favorite memories of my my own father is, and I I mean I and I I knew this before he passed away. We used to talk about it. Me and my siblings talk about it. Was he used to always say things like, "You know, who wants to go to the post office?" And we'd be like, "I do, I do, I do." And whatever the mundane task was, he would always want company for it. And we always kind of fought over who could be his company in a sense. And it just kind of depended if you were around. He didn't really play favorites, but like, so I don't know. That whole scene was very moving to me. I think it is lot to do with why I'm so attached to the show. But yeah, the exact thing of the mundane task, doing it with someone you love, I think it's, I don't know. So the relationship with Ernie and Dud, I think, is coming, is getting stronger in, in light of all these other things sort of dying off. Yeah, I mean, there's always the exception that proves the rule, right? And so I think if if the theme or a lot of the narratives were about the endings of relationships... They're right. You're right. Ernie and Dud seems completely back on track. We get one of their best sage advice, but also a little bit of wisdom from the younger coming back. That is full on one of the best Ernie Dud scenes that maybe the show's ever done. And then we Liz and Dud are really there for each other and have some warm scenes. And then, you know, Dud, even though, and I totally understand why, even after Lenore just eviscerates her, that's who she still goes to hug because Dud is such a rock, but also a known rock that it's like, even in that moment, she still needs a Lenore that's going to understand in a way that Dud and probably her father were not going to be able to understand. But it is still Dud that sort of collects her and takes her away and they're arm in arm, right? Or there's definitely a lot of warmth and affection that's broadcast in their exit from the OTB or whatever. Yeah. And uh, so we get two, two of the core, maybe the two core relationships of the show actually gain in strength and nuance while all of these other ones kind of run their course or crumble. Right. They're, they're not, we never expected them to last in a sense, you know, like, I think that is a big part of it, that the, the minor ones can crumble while the greater ones get stronger. And I think the way the psychic says that you knew your brother needed you, I think that was kind of a big part of it was that, like, Dud is actually there for Liz in that part, you know? So, like, it's usually Liz kind of bailing out Dud, or at least she thinks she has to. But in this episode, he's there for her in a big way. Yeah. And he's the smarter one on the pyramid scheme. Yeah. I, I think Liz knows that the pyramid scheme is a pyramid scheme. I, I think she's purely doing it to have a relationship with Lenore because she wants a relationship with actually like a woman that's her mother's age. I think that that's kind of important. So I just want to offer, and this just came to me, another read on the marriage and 
why it's actually an okay and legit thing to have had in the show. And it's if you look at it as more of a metaphor or allegory, it's like things that you're into, like the lot, like Dud is with the Lodge, or like we are with this TV show, or like other things you can be nerdy about. There's going to be people who don't get that. People whose tastes are like more mainstream. They're not into obscure, whatever. <laughs> there may be like you know. I don't know. Beth seems like a somewhat maybe, you know, status materialistic kind of person. It's just sort of a, a look into like, oh, yeah, when you try to reconcile like your love for something that's idiosyncratic and that means a lot to you with somebody who just would never be into something like that. It's like it. I don't know. It's just sort of like a shining a light on how some of us interact with like entertainment or even a social group you know something like a lodge where it's like this is ours and maybe it's not for other people to appreciate maybe it's maybe it's for me or for for the other people like me and it's just not for somebody like beth certainly it's not for beth and there's another piece i like that jim and then then in the lenore and liz breakup or perceived breakup we don't know we're all i think we're all firmly in that we saw the end of lenore at least the main part of that storyline but we'll see that's the thing about Liz is like she was devoid of interest I mean they literally had an episode dedicated to the fact that she couldn't fill her time last season right like that she you know so she and 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 she's starting to have those realizations about herself and like whether it was like betting I'm gonna learn the ponies or even the stupid pyramid scheme or even just the living like the the poker game she was like developing versions of interests Lenore was showing her you better be into things you better know things you better be interesting uh if you want to you know squeeze the most out of uh, out of the life and the, the hand that it's dealt you and so we kind of get that right like that's actually part of the appeal was that introduction so rather beth was the rejection of sharing somebody's interests and liz was actually seeking out somebody's interest sets to be to be you know to get turned on by platonically turned off. Uh, and so that's a really interesting point. I'm, I'm freestyling a little bit because you kind of sparked that, but uh, that's interesting, Jim. All right, so there's obviously a lot to delve in there. I think we'll probably see see some of these themes pick up, but this week we really were kind of excited and energized with this idea of the kind of endings of relationships and the sort of machine gun approach that this episode <laughs> kind of threw, threw endings at you. But now we're going to switch to something that we always do, and that is our Alchemist of the Week. Let me check in with the fan base out there because we had actually an interesting phenomenon. We finally had consensus across platforms, and we actually had the Facebook group no one add somebody, so we must have gotten the right mix. So, And that was the runaway train, no debate, that Blaze was the Alchemist of the Week on both Twitter and and Facebook by a substantial margin. Now, I'll admit, I actually voted in both polls for Blaze, but through the course of our discourse, I am going to pull a fast one that my uh, podcasting compatriots don't even know, and that is I'm actually switching to Lenore because she is such a badass, and so she turns information and contacts into money, so if you want to go super literal, there you go. But I just want to really... She's the hero, that the alchemist of the week for me, because she's a badass. I want to honor her. What she, even if she, they never interact again, the grit and kind of both the positive and negative looks at where Liz could end up really, I think, shook Liz up in, in a really positive way. And the actress, which I don't have right in front of me, is just so good. The way she goes from, like, affection to anger and bitterness to understanding... And that you actually understand why she's got those emotional reactions each time. So a state change, if you will. I'm just giving, I'm giving it up. Lenore, we may not see you again, so I'm honoring you here with my Alchemist of the Week. Well then, I'm going to go, I think, I'm going to go with the common folk and say Blaze. Just on a very literal level, he is through to the other side as far as we know. And even if he does, even if he is just escaping through some hatch, I think his confrontation with Scott was bubbling up and it's settled. Just first of all, the actor who plays Lenore, I'm going to do my best shot at pronouncing her name. I believe it's Bertila Damas. And then moving on to my Alchemist of the Week, I'm going to go with an an unorthodox pick. I don't know what people will feel about this, but it's a retroactive Alchemist of the Week. And I'm going to say Bill Dudley, Liz and Dud's dad, in that in the full reconsideration we get here of the fact that he dumped Lenore, that he broke up with her because he 
as Liz put it, like he saw you're a hustler. Um, and he recognized like, even though I like this person and hanging out with her and she's got some good qualities, she might not be the best person to have as a parent figure for my kids and a role model. And so I think he did the right thing and raised his kids right by not bringing Lenore in as their stepmom. They might have grown up just doing pyramid schemes all over the town. Who knows? <laughs> that's my uh, that's my strange take on Alchemist of the Week. I like it. I like it too. Good left field pick there, Jim. All right, we're doing our doors are opening, but we had a uh, listener request to also think about what we think was going to happen in what looks like from the coming attractions scenes for next week some 60s flashbacks it looks like more of larry's mom and whatever the dude with the diaries i remember his name his mummified or something yeah uh so we're gonna go more into that with some some flashbacks a little bit of a hint is that the actress that plays the mom has been is very active promoting lodge 49 online so i think she's got she definitely has kind of a featured episode here. It looks like next week and maybe a little bit beyond that. So what's the question? Shoot me with what you got in terms of shoot me with what you got. Oh, just what you think is going to happen in those flashbacks. So in your doors are opening. If you have a doors are opening to the past, give us that one as well or as your prediction. Bart, you've always got predictions in the shoot. What do you got? What I think of the preview of next week is that blaze is there with with uh, larry's mom uh i'm going to say that based on that question that the that blaze is actually just dreaming and it in his i think he's escaped out the back somewhere and he's hiding from everybody and when he's with larry's mom and the future episode that's a dream he's having and so in a way he has escaped and he is through to the other side but that it's all just based in a dream. All right, so going with obvious connection between those characters, but through dream, not real time travel. Not real alchemy. I don't, yeah. I don't know that he's through to the other side. I, I think there's going to be a lot that centers around uh, Larry's mom as well, and I think we're going to find out that she's much more instrumental in the true Lodge aspects than Smith, that you know, and that Smith was all bells and whistles and pomp and circumstances and arcane, arcane blither blather, but that Larry's mom, whether it was the political true lodge or the mystical true lodge or whatever that through line is, she is much more connected to it than Smith, yeah. her, I guess, boyfriend. Jim, do you have any doors are opening to the past prediction i don't necessarily i do feel like having watched the one sneak preview of ernie and dud looking for another you know secret passageway i think they will find one and i'm wondering whether it'll be related to getting at, to that back door where connie's in the closet you know it's like is there something that's going to be tied into both how blaze got out and then connie's vision and i do want to say briefly just None of us picked Connie for Alchemist of the Week, but she did see a city of gold and was able to take her blindfold off. So there's she gets she's got to get some extra credit in there somewhere. I'm she not, was the second vote getter on, online. I'm not the best with predictions. Yeah, I'm always reticent. I guess Bart and I are good at pontificating what might happen, and Jim is good at getting the details of what did happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I think once I made a bunch of predictions that worked fell flat on their face that I just felt open to be like, you know what? I'm just going to make predictions and I don't care if they come true. But I do have two predictions. I'm going to say one. I think we're going to see Cap Captain in the final episode. Mm. I, I think the fact that the uh, fruit basket guy was back in it like i was saying with the librarian dud is you know had an interest in the first season it seems like the show always bring it, it never it never shows a gun that doesn't go off in the third act by the fact that we're seeing the the fruit basket guy i think that there's still something we haven't really closed that door on captain i mean he wasn't dead he you know he got impaled by the narwhal but he wasn't dead he was in the hospital and I think Connie's seeing that city of gold is like that there, that maybe there is some something out there that they're going to tap into. And I think that's going to be with 
captain coming back. And my other prediction is that I think Liz is going to end the season by leaving Long Beach. I think that scene when she's with the psychic and he says that she's in the wrong place just stuck with me. That It looked like she, like, disturbed by that. And I think she's going to answer that call, think about it, and then move on somewhere else. I was on record earlier this this season with Bruce Campbell, so... You're joining me in that prediction. I will. And, and, I will and point how out. awesome would it be to just get a little bit more Bruce Campbell before a season yeah, ends? Yeah, definitely. Well, he apparently didn't close the door. He had he had something that said like maybe you'll see me. You know, so there's actually there's actually a little bit of a, a real world tell out there too that backs it up. Good. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. More Bruce Campbell. All right. Well, that brings us to another close of Pod 49. You can find all of our contact information, individual, for the show, what have you, in the show notes. Again, we love interaction. We love reviews. We love questions, comments, and even someone turning on the voice memo on their phone and shipping us a question or a comment that we will run on a future episode. We've got some fun stuff we've got in the works for the second half of the season and maybe even some postseason or some hopefully in-between season content. Of course, we have not gotten a confirmation that there will be a season three. We may have to ramp up the fan engagement to bug AMC at some point. So we're building the Lodge 49 Army when that is ready to be mobilized. But until then, we'll see you next week at Band Night.